Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. One. Talk Recorded live. Hey guys, this is just kind of an impromptu sidebar meeting with a few of the members. We're just having a private call with private individuals talking about private situations. And we're just chit-chatting and discussing things that um, may go on in the future with us or maybe have gone on in the past and things that can or cannot be done about them. So with that being said... um, got Dave here, and Dave had an issue to discuss, and so I'll just turn the floor over to Dave. How you doing, bro? Uh, are you with us, brother? It's me, Chelsea. Yep, I hear you, Chelsea. How you doing? I'm doing good. Good. Uh, Dave, did you want to discuss the situation? Well, I guess not. And that was kind of the purpose for us getting together tonight. Um, I had a previous question that came up uh, prior to the call starting. Uh, Does that question want to be posed again? Was that you, Cal? Oh, yeah. Sorry. Uh, you, you ask, were you addressing to me? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I yeah, guess. I'm here. Maybe Dave doesn't, I guess, want to talk about. I don't know. I don't really comprehend what the problem would be with that. But, um, yeah, yeah you asked me, me about something before we started the call up. So. Yeah. Um, well, I've only been. I've only really been uh, doing research on this stuff for a few months, maybe since like December or January. But I mean, I've been devouring stuff. And one thing that isn't clear to me is how the different pieces of legislation are linked together and how they give each other and the other pieces of legislation power. Or authority over us, rather. Well, it, but you're talking about um, a particular situation, such as being a taxi driver or something like that, right? Uh, uh, well, I did some research on the MTC, and, um, which is the Taxi Cab Commission, and apparently um, all vehicles on the road, I'm assuming it has to do with us traveling in commerce, but they, all vehicles on the road have to adhere to the Taxi Cab Commission's rules, whether you're taxiing people or not. And uh, so that's where, you know, I tried to call around and ask different uh, sources what and who gives the MTC the authority to, you know, 
put regulations on people who are uh, receiving benefits from them. Oh, another thing was that uh, you have to, if you're a taxi cab driver, you do have to be licensed and registered with the MTC, which is why I'm confused. If you're not licensed and registered with the MTC, why do you still have to abide by their rules? I'm assuming if you're licensed and registered with them, uh, you're receiving some sort of benefit. All right. Yeah, because licenses imply that you're able to do something that would be illegal to do if you didn't have a license, um, which means that you've been given a green card to perform an illegal activity. And, I mean, they, they've turned everything into commerce, you know, and they've made all commerce uh, fall under those regulations as well. And here's the situation. Um, you've got a bunch, everything is wrapped up, and I keep preaching this to people until they get it, everything is wrapped up in PMAs, private membership associations. Your driver's license through the Department of Motor Vehicles or Department of Transportation or whatever they call it where you're at, and in fact, remember, Department of Transportation originally was Department of Commerce. It's just kind of a subsidiary of that, all right? So it's dealing in commerce on the road if you're under a license from Department of Transportation, Department of Motor Vehicles. And what all these little organizations that Sprout Up do, and it doesn't matter if it's a chiropractic association, for instance, or any little thing like that, if they're big enough, they turn around and they get legislatures who, of course, they pay these guys off, up in Capitol Hill for, you know, your state and then, of course, the federal level uh, to go in and propose laws because they say, you know, they, they look at a list of potential problems that could occur and say, hey, to prevent these problems for, from occurring, then we need to make sure that people performing these certain acts have a license. And then along with the license, that means there's regulations that are going to cover what they're doing and they're going to have to abide by those things. And so then they get their legislators to go in and get this bill and push through. And now all of a sudden the acts of this private membership association are now authorized by the federal government. And it can also prevent other people, other entities from coming in and performing those acts unless they have that same license. Does that make sense to you? I think so. It 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 just it sounds like uh like branching out or subsidiary is that the right word? Um, is that what you're talking about? Cause, so are you talking about like uh, the MTC, the Taxi Cab Commission? That would be like one of those corporate entities that have enough power to um, get certain legislation passed in their favor? Yeah, absolutely. And they'll, they'll do it even right down to the local level. I know, like you're talking about taxis, I know where I live at that uh, the airport here, uh, we're the largest airport uh, down here in Florida, largest international airport, busiest. And at one time, because I had a lot of friends that drove taxi and some of them independently and they all went to the airport and everything. Well, 
when the airport expanded and got bigger, they went and pushed the local city council to only allow certain licensed taxi companies to even operate there. It wasn't a matter of even if you had a license, a statewide or countywide license that you could operate, they got them to say, no, only these three or four companies can operate here. That's it. And to me, I was like, what are you talking about? This is a free market system. This is how it works, really. And from there, they branch out to make it mandated at the state level and even a federal level if they need to. Right. So, so the point, I guess, so where it gets confusing and and where they get you on the whole, uh, you know, ignorance is no excuse for breaking the law. Um, if you're just a regular driver, you're, I guess, you're you're assuming that you're regulated under the Department of Motor Vehicles or whatever it's called where you live. Uh, because that's where you registered and got your driver's license from them. But so how how are you supposed to know, unless you're you know someone like me or you who goes and digs around? But how is a regular person supposed to know that they're actually also supposed to be abiding by the rules of the taxi cab commission, even though it has nothing to do with them? Well, unfortunately, the way most people learn that is. For instance, with a taxi driver, when you get pulled over, you know, or, yeah, you learn a hard way, actually, yeah. I mean, more people have learned through the school of hard knocks than any other way possible, you know. And school of hard knocks isn't just a saying, because it's the truth. That's how people learn. And then they start going out and looking and things and finding out what's really going on. And that's why I said, like, in a situation, you know, the court can be your friend. You call them up and say, hey, I, I see there might be some issue with what I'm doing, and I want to find out if there's regulations over it. Where would I look to find out? Because they should be able to tell you. That's a good idea. I'm not sure if I tried to call them. I know that uh, the reason why I went digging was actually uh, because I noticed the propaganda in the in the news story. Um, the way that the, because, you know, it was like the, they're staying at the airport and the news with Caster was, uh, had the microphone on a police officer and uh, he was saying that uh, if you're caught, you know, if you're an Uber driver and you're caught uh, picking people up from the airport, it can be a up to a $500 fine. And so that's when, you know, raise a red flag and like, well, how? By whose authority? Because how do they know you're an Uber driver? How can they enforce it? And that's when I went calling around and found out all the shit about the MTC and how you were all, you know, have to abide by their rules too. For some reason, I can't, I still haven't found any piece of legislation that says we have to, but apparently we do. All right. Now there's something actually overruling and overriding that. And um, what it is, I'll give you an example here locally. When, they expanded the airport here. Uh, they put in something called the cell phone lot. And I think a lot of people didn't really realize what it was. They thought it was to make things easy. That way, when uh, their aunt or grandma arrived down here for vacation, that she could just give them a ring and they could pull up to the front door and pick them up. 
That way they wouldn't have to pay for parking and go in and get her. You know what I mean? Um, right. But what it, what it really was was since those other companies weren't allowed just to go in there and park and stuff and, and wait for people or even to troll the front doors to see if somebody would hail them, uh, then what they could do is they could sit there in that lot and wait until that man or woman who had contacted them several days earlier or whatever, just arranged for a ride, um, would call them and they could go there and then pick them up. Okay. That way it kind of sidetracked that regulation of only several companies, taxi companies being allowed to go there and to uh, troll the front doors at the airport. Now, what that situation is, technically, because you have to comprehend that everything that we do is under contract law. Contract law actually is the freaking guiding force here. So what you're looking at is somebody called you an hour ago, a day ago, two days ago, and they contracted with you to pick them up at the airport. And you instructed them, all right, when you've grabbed your luggage, give me a ring. I'll pull up from like the cell phone lot or whatever the case may be, and I'll pick you up at the front door. Um, what are you wearing? You know, or something like that. That way I can identify you. Because what that is, that, that this falls under a private contract between two uh, people. Okay? And private contracts cannot be infringed on uh, by federal or state or your municipality as long as that private contract isn't a situation like with Kevorkian, I'll give you a pill where you can uh, commit suicide. You know what I mean? As long as it's something that doesn't harm the common purpose of the community. It falls under universal law, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they, they, yeah, exactly. That, that just basically falls under natural law. You know, you and I can make a decision between each other, and as long as it's not harming the community, then who can say anything about it? Right. But they, but they, they're infringing on that every day. Well, they do because we we don't know to enforce contract law. Right, well, and they trick us into contracting with them and agreeing to their contracts, i.e. laws. Yeah, well, they do, they, but they kind of trick us through our ignorance, you know, because we really don't know what's running things. Right, well, the amazing thing is I've been... uh the best I've heard it called is the gauntlet of conspiracy theories, but I've been running through the gauntlet of conspiracy theories for like close to 10 years. And it took me that long to come to this, to finally get to the, these truths. And so it's amazing how well they can hide it in plain sight. I've been looking at it the whole time and searching for it. And I've only just really discovered this whole commerce and contract law and jurisdictional. I only just discovered this stuff a few months ago, and I've been searching for years for the answers to a lot of questions. Welcome to the nature. Hi. Well, 
it, it's nice to know that there is some answers, not just, you know, a bunch of kooky theories out there mixed in with truth. Right. Well, you know, and it, you're right. It's not a situation of, well, just the way it is, deal with it. That saying is best for people who are too lazy to go out and explore and learn. You know what I mean? And, and like in this situation, when people learn that it's about contract law, well, then what does that tell you? That means you, you've got to learn what contract law really is, just the basics of it, and who and what has jurisdiction over the contract. You know what I mean? But the only ones with jurisdiction over the contract between two people is, guess who? Oh, the two people. You know? As, as long as you know you're not making a deal to go off somebody or anything like that. You know what I mean? Right. And uh, all contracts can be rescinded, right, at any time? Is that right? Yeah, sure they can. Yeah, sure they can. And there's a multitude of reasons why contracts can be rescinded. Um, even look over the rules of equity, and that, that will give you a list of reasons why contracts can be rescinded. You know, were they done on bad faith? Uh, was there deception involved? Just very basic things like that. That's what equity is. Equity is supposed to be just basic, uh, almost natural law principles. Um, but that, but so all contracts can be rescinded. But that means that doesn't mean that. Uh, as you said, you know, you you listed a, a few reasons why why you can make that request. Um, I'm just throwing like an example out there, like if you have a contract with Gold's Gym, you, you can rescind that, but they'll charge you know they'll ch- tax you a fee for you know early cancellation or whatever. Um, I don't know if I really have a question there; it just popped in my mind. Oh, that's a great example, too. So it's not necessarily that uh, all contracts can be gotten out of without some kind of tax or something involved, but like in the case of our birth certificate and all that, where it was done through deception or whatever they want to call it or whatever we want to call it, then it can be, it should be rescinded without question. Yeah. Yeah. You know, unless, you know, now there's certain things written into contracts. Like, say you go and uh, rent a apartment, okay? I've rented an apartment for a gentleman I'm guardian over, okay? So that he would have a place near me to live. <clears throat> well, that is a contract between two people. There is no attorney involved, nothing like that. No notarizing even or anything, right? It was just an agreement between me and the other party with witnesses. Now, within that contract like that can be stuff written in. For instance, like, you know, if you move out without notice, you know, you're going to be liable for X amount of monthly payments. Or, you know, if there's things damaged in the home, you'll be liable. So, I mean, within the contract between two people, yeah, there can be things written in, and those things are going to have to be followed because that was agreed on by the two of you. 
Right. But if it was only agreed verbally and you didn't memorialize it, what's that mean? There's no way to enforce it, right? Well, if it's not memorialized, you're going to be stepping into a new realm, um, which is actually called... um, uh, Give me a second. I'll think of it. Um, You're saying... It's called parole evidence. What is it, it called? Parole. Like if you're on parole from state prison. Okay. State prison, you can be paroled from federal, you can't. Yeah, it's called parole evidence. The same spelling. P-A-R-O-L-E. And, well, give me. I'll, I'll give you a great example of parole evidence, Okay. Parole evidence is like this. Say um, your father is dying, okay? And you're called to the hospital by your siblings, your mom, whoever, and or doctor, and you're told your father's dying. And everybody's going in and having their visits with him and or everybody's even hanging around him at the bedside talking and he says, You know what? I just want to have a conversation with my son right now. Uh can everybody please leave? So everybody leaves and you have a conversation with your father. Uh it's just the two of you. And the father says, I'm dying. I don't know how much time I've got, and I want to let you know I have given everything over the years to the rest of the family, and they have not accepted it. They have not appreciated it, and therefore, they don't deserve anything else from me. So everything else in my estate, son, I am going to leave to you and you only. And you lean down, you give your father a big hug, you know, um, you got a tear in your eye because you know he's passing. And when you stand back up, you look down and you see his eyes are closed. He's passed away. You walk out in the hallway and you tell the family, you know what? Sorry, guys. Dad just died. Oh, and by the way, he left me everything. That is called parole evidence because there were no witnesses to it. And, but so what if they challenge it? Uh, they can challenge it, and you'd have to go in and look at court cases where this has occurred. But parole evidence normally stands pretty well, especially if, especially if there can't be intent found uh, for, say, for instance, for why the father would not have done that, if there could be solid intent to back that standing up. So there, so it would be seen, a judge would see the case, and that's where the whole color of law comes in, right? The judge, he writes the law right there. He figures it out based on testimony. Right. Yeah, and that, that is a form of testimony, parole evidence, yeah. If I if I may, Brian. Yeah, how are you doing? Hey, isn't that the same scene as um, what's his name? That actor uh, Crow 
in the gladiator. Remember when the heat, the king was dying and the king said he set him free or whatever, and he died and he had, had to go into slavery because anybody watch the gladiator? Yeah, I've seen that's, it. It's been a while. That's a great example, actually. Yeah. They give us examples of all this stuff in movies and shit and cartoons, don't they? Yes. Oh, I don't. I don't quite follow that example. What? Uh, how? How does that correlate? Because the scene was um, Gladiator won a whole bunch of wars for him, and the king, I believe, somebody stabbed him or whatever. And he's dying on the bed, and he gave the gladiator his, uh, he gave him his, his freedom. And uh, the son, the, the, the son that, that was jealous of him, um, didn't let him go free because it wasn't heard, you know, from nobody's mouth. Only the king said it. Then the king died. It was just him and the king in the room. Oh, but that's an example of where it was an honor, right? Yes. Yep. Because it what what it it it, it correlates with um, the word that Bryant just used. Um, what did you say the law was, Bryant? It's called parole evidence. Parole evidence. P a r o l e. If anybody wants to go research it. Um, oh, you know, I was I told you I I finished. Uh, uh, the St. Louis University seminar that that one guy did on uh, status correction. And uh, speaking of m- movies where they put it in there, he was talking about uh, the whole going through the Egyptian story of Horus or you know, Osiris or whatever, where they dismembered him all the way down to, uh, you know, his male Winky. part. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and the, names that we call it like Johnson and uh, uh, Peter and all these different things. Right. And then I, I immediately thought of that movie, uh, the big Lebowski where he's like, and we'll cut off your Johnson. All right. I think that movie is totally like creditor better movie with the, um, with the dude being the creditor and just kind of, you know, accepting everything and <laughs> doing it that way. Um, yeah, I mean, we see signs of uh, of the esoteric all over the place, and people don't even realize it. Uh, Kel, did you have um, something you want to bring up? Uh, me? Yeah. Hello? Uh, yeah. Um... Oh, no, go ahead. Did you Hello? have any more questions, young man? No, no, I mean, I do, but uh, I've... You can go ahead. I think that we have similar names, so that uh, I think that we're getting confused. So, you, uh, if if you want to continue with him, Brian, um, go ahead because he's a beginner. I'm no, that, 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 no, that's no, that's all right. No, uh, and it, some of the things you may have to say may help him on some of his uh, questions as well. Uh, let, let's just kind of rotate around the table, around the round table here. Okay, definitely. Well. Um, I had a new experience this weekend, and that's dealing with uh, immigration law. And uh, it's like I went to a detention center, a private detention center, 
and um, it, it's just it was mind blowing that they have a detention center and they have court in the detention center, <laughs> just right there. Just so I have a I have a uh, a friend of mine. Um, I coach her daughter, and her dad got caught up in it. He's been here for 30 years, and he is giving to the economy. He had given back into the community. He's raised kids in the community. He's gotten education out of the community. It's like he's been living as a citizen. So um, how do one deal with that, not being a citizen, but having a, a diplomatic birth certificate or a nationality birth certificate from Mexico? Well, that's definitely an foreign entity, wouldn't it? Yeah, that's definitely an interesting situation. Um, Has he done anything along the lines where, over time, where they could hold something up and say, oh, right here, uh, you claim to be a U.S. citizen? You know, if you want to claim U.S. citizenship, then you're going to fall under U.S. citizenship rules. It's their organization. They're not following any organization's rules, you know. And that's why I strongly recommend everybody to exhaust your efforts. I know it's a pain, but exhaust your efforts to denounce anything you may have done. And it could actually be something as, and I know it doesn't sound simple, but it could be something as simple as, you know, putting it into a publication, you know, renouncing your position that you had previously claimed. Would that be your status? I'm sorry, I beg your pardon? Would that be a status? You telling him to denounce? Yeah, that's that. That's definitely a big step in the status correction. Yeah, that's where, where my questioning was going. Is that are, are you talking about like rescinding everything, like the driver's license and all that stuff? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Anything, anything where you had to check the box that said, you know. Um, that you're claiming to be a United States citizen. Right. And then, but so when you do all that, that's obviously everybody, everybody's looking for the solution of not being messed with. Um, so when you do that stuff, obviously you have to get something in return so that you don't get pulled over and get arrested a bunch. Cause that's the whole reason why I, uh, I actually came across all that, you know, free man on the land stuff like a couple of years ago and was starting to get a little into it. But then like when I realized it, basically it's just being combative and, you know, using your knowledge of the laws to try to like obstruct and delay them. And it never ends well for you because like you said, they are the mafia. So when I finally got introduced to this way, it was much more appealing. Right, and it, I totally am on board with what you're saying, and this is the way I look at it, okay? 
Um, you're on, we're born into a battlefield. People don't realize that. And go in and read the Libra Code. That's what they still follow today. You read through it, and you're going to find out why a lot of things that you see happening occur because they're mandated in Libra Code. And some people want to say that Libra Code, that was back in, you know, 1862, 1863, and it doesn't apply anymore. Well, it absolutely does apply. Because within Labor Code, it gave two provisions for it to be amended or to be done away with, which was one by a popular vote or by the President of the United States. Neither of those ever occurred. They made sure to get rid of Lincoln before either of those things could occur, especially a rescission by Lincoln. All right? So... The the way I look at things is... we're in a situation where we're on a battlefield. Uh, we see the standing army passing by us all the time on the roadways, on the public roadways. And we often get, I mean, we know everything is done through assumption and presumption, all right? So what happens is it's assumed and presumed that we play for the Dallas Cowboys when actually in our heart and what we've learned is that we actually play for the Oakland Raiders. But we've got um, this so-called public officer, uh, public, and he is an officer for the corporation. The corporation is the public. And he's presuming that we play for the Dallas Cowboys. So, He's going to use the Dallas Cowboys rules against us. Has anybody come forward and let them know that, no, sir, I don't play for the Dallas Cowboys. I play for the Oakland Raiders. Um, I, I don't fall under your team's rules and mandates. Instead, so many people want to go out and they want to fight statute law and things like that. And actually, when you get in a court, the judges will even tell you, as far as the codes and statutes go, they own the codes and statutes. And that's not just a saying. They actually do own them. They hold title to them. Not us. Not the people. So That's something they have created, right? Right, so that's that's step one, really, as far as status correction. Status correction isn't really changing the position you're in. It's more finding out that the position you're in has been an incorrect position all along. And then just giving notice to these other entities that, you know, sorry, there's been a mistake made. Uh, rid of error, if you will. I want to know mm-hmm. one thing. I found one thing I found funny was, uh, well, c- couldn't understand is. I thought the reason for um, when they kidnap someone is to start to, to start a bond, an instrument, but. They're denying people in the detention bond 
so that they can get out. What isn't that backwards? Oh, they're doing a lot of things that are totally backwards. I mean, not only denying bonds, especially in situations where nobody's been harmed. I mean, Lord, right down to the foundation of the law is natural law. Has anybody been harmed? No, nobody's been harmed. And yet they won't allow a bond, you know, for somebody to get released. You're correct. That is totally backwards. In fact, there's been a few situations I know of recently. I mean, they're really ramping things up to where they're arresting people and holding them for days or weeks, and they've never even been um, processed at the jail. I mean, normally when people are arrested, the first thing they do is they take you in, they get your information, which technically, if you look in legal dictionary, um, the definition of information is knowledge of a crime. All right? So when you're given your, uh, the English like to call it particulars, when you're given, or details, when you're giving them their particulars or details, you're giving them knowledge of a crime. And your info is knowledge of a crime. That, that's craziness. But that's only what happens when people are first arrested. And then you get tossed around from one cell to another cell, whatever, and then eventually maybe you get bonded out and, or a court date and you leave. Well, I've known of a few situations recently where people have been arrested, they're thrown into a cell, and that's all that happens. There's no court appearances, there's no nothing, and fortunately they've got friends and people that are able to do some things behind the scenes through the paperwork, because that's all court is, is paperwork. That's where court's held. It's not held in that room with the bailiff and the clerk. No. Court is held in paperwork. And they've had friends and knowledgeable people that could do things with paperwork behind the scenes so that they get released. And then when they're released, what happens? You know, somebody I spoke to recently, they were taken from the main big jail because it's a large metropolitan area where they live. They were taken from that jail and taken back to the little small home jail in the town where they dwell in. And they said, well, what are you doing? Why are you bringing me here? And they said, well, we have to book you. After they got done booking them, they released them. Is that totally opposite or what? Wow. It sounds like they're just with their, you know, their their information in the database. Yeah. Yeah, they, they, so they've got to get all that they, stuff in there because they've got to have access to the Sedicate Trust. How do they get fund if, if all of, all of, all of, excuse my term, all of the Mexican nationalities, if, if they're being, uh, incarcerating them, their foreign states, how do they get paid? How do they get money? How do they get credit? How do they... What's the purpose of all of it if you're not going to get paid? As far as them incarcerating people, like, say, from uh, Mexico or Canada or something like that? Mm-hmm. Um, I really firmly believe that as far... I think that there's been... Agreements have been written uh, to where if you were to look at an overlay map 
of North America, uh, in their eyes, you would see no borders between Canada, America, and Mexico. I, I think it's all one single entity. Right. And it's just broken up into different divisions. All owned by the same corporation. Right. And like I said earlier before the call started, that everybody that falls underneath the IMF, underneath the International Monetary Fund and the Bank of International Settlements, they're all following by the same rules. It's almost like they are all one single entity. You know what I mean? And you look at uh, what's occurred like in the Middle East, right? You go back 15 years ago, and there was about a dozen countries who, large countries, the major countries, who were not part of the International Monetary Fund, all right? And now you look at today, uh, there's only like three, maybe four countries that are not members of the International Monetary Fund. And three of those main countries are uh, Cuba, who the United States has been lightening trade embargoes with, um, then you look at North Korea, who, of course, we're claiming is a foe and we're going to have to fight them and yada, yada, yada. And um, it, it's really been limited. A lot of the countries that are now part of the IMF are countries that we went into over there, like Afghanistan and Iraq, Yemen. There's so many of those little countries over there that about eight or nine of them over there that the first thing we did when we went in is we instilled a central bank which was the IMF I mean interestingly when we went to Iraq also one of the first things we did is we went into the uh, big museum that was being built there by Saddam Hussein and there was all sorts of old, old artifacts and things that he was going to be putting on display for mankind to see. And that was one of the first things that happened the first day or two is we backed up trucks there and we ransacked that place because there's evidently secrets regarding mankind that uh, the IMF didn't want anybody to know about. Which people need to realize that that's exactly what the U.S. is. The U.S. is the military wing for the IMF. I know we're getting off topic here a little bit, but. No, it's good. It's interesting. Um, actually, I had something to add after I forgot what it was. Let me think of something. Um, as far as that goes, people can go in and research some of the things that we first, or not we, I'm sorry, I hate using that word, that the U.S. first did when they went in uh, and took over Iraq and look into what happened with that museum. There's some very, very interesting stories there. Oh, I remember. Um, did you... And I want to precursor this with... Uh, I don't believe uh, even a fraction of what they put on the news, but I, I like to see what they're telling You know, the masses. Um, but when the election, all that stuff was going on, um, I remember them putting out that Russia, uh, you know, Putin had kicked the the Rothschilds out of Russia and this and that. And then, you know, uh, 
Um, Trump gave that that JFK-esque speech about, you know, there's certain people, this and that. And then, you know, then both stories go, you know, they never mention them again. Uh, what do you think about that stuff? Or why do you think that they throw that stuff out there? Because clearly they're lies. They don't go anywhere. And also, oh, the other story about, I think it was Switzerland. Yeah, I think it was Switzerland also that they kicked out all the uh, the banker, or they kicked out the, the central banks and then jailed all their bankers. I don't know if you heard about that story. Just curious as yeah, what you guys Yeah, that, that was Norway or wherever up there that did that. Is that true? Were they actually able to kick the cabal out of their country without the, you know, American army coming down on them? I think that they were small enough that they were able to do it. And actually, there's a lot of photos you can find online where they actually hung a bunch of them, too, a bunch of the banksters. And because they they didn't want the IMF to be part of the situation anymore, they want them out of there. You know that they, they wanted. It. Here's the thing: when it comes to sovereignty, and you know a lot of people have a problem with the word and everything, but as far as ISO law goes, when I explain sovereignty to them, sovereignty is you being in control of your own funds and your own money and not an outside organization. When you let another organization from the outside come in and control your funds and money, that is the heart of how your system works. And when you've done that, you've lost your sovereignty because somebody else is putting you into constraints. Now, when you look at the word sin, sin to me is synonymous with debt. All right, and what has the International Monetary Fund done to all Americans? We're all labeled as debtors, aren't we? We're all labeled as sinners. And they're all going back to biblical references where, oh, we're all born into sin. Oh, your mom and dad had a mortgage? Oh, they're sinners. Oh, and you're born into that. I mean, it's a mental game. And as far as the situation with uh, Putin and Russia, there's a lot of things going on behind the scenes there, and a lot of it has to do with the transfer of oil and oil making its way through the pipeline to Europe and who's really going to be profiting off of it. And what they're doing in that situation is, to me, worse than a lie. It's actually diverting your thinking. It's taking the attention off from what's really happening to something else. And that's one of the things I look at. Whenever I see something big going on, I try and dig and find out what else is happening. You know what I mean? Because those are the things that they don't want you to know about. I want to know what they don't want me to know about. That's what I want to know. You know, I haven't turned on TV in over several years. I listen to talk radio maybe, but I get little clues and hints from things from there. And actually, those guys in talk radio... They'll drop hints to you if you know the words to listen for, you know. And so I, whenever I hear something supposedly major going on, then I look to see what else is happening. 
Um, one of the fun things you can do sometimes is you can go into your favorite search me engine, whether it's Google or whatever, and you can just type in the words, um, Obama just signed or Trump just signed. And then look at all the little options that come up underneath. And you'll see things that you didn't even hear about in the news. Oh, definitely. I never thought to put that in the search bar, but I know all about them signing the bills on the table. Yeah. And like you said, anytime there's something big in the news, like, you should probably be going and doing that exact search just to see what's really going on because that's how they pass all the all the bills that slowly but, you know, slowly and subtly change everything generationally. That's how they do it. It's all generational. By the time the next generation's here, it's just the way it is. Oh, absolutely. And that's one of the things, too, with Ken Scott's... Um status correction videos that he did. There's five of them. If people want to see them, they can go and just look up um, YouTube, uh, Tactical Sovereignty, Brian Parker, and I pretty much only throw things into certain playlists, and you can go to that playlist, status correction, and you'll see in there that that is what they've done, is they're not trying to make sure that their pockets are padded a month from now or six months from now, what they're looking at is they're looking into the long-term future. They're not even looking into what will take care of themselves or their children, but maybe generations down the line. They're looking at an ultimate goal because there's something else behind the scenes. For people that say that this is not a spiritual war, uh, that means their eyes aren't open yet. This is totally a spiritual war. And we're told that all the way back in the scripture, that what we are fighting is a spiritual war. And you have to look at it from that perspective and look at they have a long-term goal going on. Um, oh, I, one more question on this topic, and then we can, I, I have some questions that are more on the topic of what the group is about. Um but when you mentioned that they they had hung some of those bankers and you know how they kicked them out and this and that, um, this guy, the uh, what's his name, Ken something or other that I just watched the seminars, the five videos. Um, Ken Scott. Yeah, he's talking about he's talking about the, at the end of the fifth one how you know, all these processes that he's been, you know, working on and perfecting. And, and mind you, this was 2014, so it's been three years, um, that they would start to, you know, we would start to see results more or less kind of from behind the scenes. Like uh, he, he had already mentioned that some bankers were finding their way off the tops of roofs or whatever. I don't know if he was implying they were being murdered or if they were committing suicide. But uh, he was saying that things were already starting to change because of basically people stepping up and taking responsibility and then, you know, pulling, you know, doing the whole ledgering thing, I'm assuming is what he's talking about, and decreasing the debt and then making these public officials either stay in honor or doing whatever process you can do to screw them over if they don't. So I guess the question is, do you think that what that guy was talking about has something to do with like what happened in those other countries is like creditors going in and, and, you know, angelic creditors going in and and changing it for the better. 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, people people are waking up to the facts of the situation. And the last thing that people want is to have their feet held to the fire for atrocities they've committed. You know what I mean? Um, anybody can go in and uh, just, like, Google banker suicides. Or I'd also recommend going in and Googling something like... Um, Holistic doctor deaths, right? Uh, yeah, I know. The 33 doctors that died that were uh, researching vaccinations and found the the vitamin D blocker that they put in them. Hear about that? Yeah, I mean, one of those doctors, I, I drove by her office every day, just about. He died. Yeah, it was a crazy story, but yeah, it, you know, the, there's people either offing themselves or people getting eliminated left and right because, you know, in the book of Revelation, uh, does it not say that we would be going through times that were going to be similar to um, birth pains? that something new was about to occur. And the previous organization or whatever, the previous system, was going to start to go through birth pains or something similar to birth pains. And I think that's what we're seeing. I, th- I think we're starting to see the birth pains of the system that's been running things because they know the time's up. Yeah, sure. It, it really does seem like they're scrambling like with all the the news stories coming out, things definitely seem like they're changing to me. Well, yeah, everybody wants to cover their ass, don't they? Yeah, the thing is, is that the system that's running right now is a system that's been done and tried over and over again through the centuries, and there's been situations where and I'm sure you probably saw those videos, for instance, where, like, massive um, illnesses have come about. Major catastrophes have come about. It's wiped out tons of people and things like that. You know, don't think that a lot of those things just happen by accident. I've really come to learn that the majority of things happen on purpose. I mean, uh, somebody was talking today, I think it was then oh, from uh, Musicians for Peace. I recommend everybody go check out Musicians for Peace online. And she was talking today to me about um, the Titanic and the other ship, uh, the Olympic. There were sister ships. And what really went on during that time. And that was that the Olympic had been badly damaged. And this is where you quickly learn everything is run on insurance behind the scenes, whether you want to call it bonds, whatever you want to call it, taxes, it doesn't matter. It's all insurance. Just, just put the label insurance on it. And the Olympic was so badly damaged, they were never going to get the money back off from it because the Olympic was at fault for an original accident it had been in. But it was a duplicate ship primarily to the Titanic. So over the course of a weekend, they just swapped everything out and they threw everybody on the Olympic 
sent them out to the uh, ocean of icebergs and sunk. And they were able to collect off from it. And the supposed Olympic, who even engineers said would never, ever be able to be really seaworthy for much longer, went on to freaking operate for another 25 years. Wow, never heard. So are you trying, are you saying that the Titanic would, or this ship would have sank whether it went through icebergs or not? That was just their, what they did to yeah. cover it up? Over time, the Olympic, absolutely. Over time, the Olympic definitely would have sunk. So what they did is they threw the name Titanic on it because they're pretty much identical ships. And they loaded everybody on the Olympic and they called it the Titanic and sent them out on what they thought was the Titanic's maiden voyage, who, which, by the way, uh, 50 top-level people, people close to the IMF and the banks, including J.P. Morgan himself, left uh, that voyage the day before, and he claimed illness, even though he was found two days later with his mistress on an island um, down in South America. Wow. So what about was all the people? Well, the the people that were actually left on the ship, it it was all planned out because they invited a bunch of people that were involved in the restructuring of the banks to come on that maiden voyage. But the people on the inside left and canceled the reservations um, the day before. So guess who all guess who all sank in that maiden voyage? The people that were against the idea of setting up the International Monetary Fund or, or i.e. the Federal Reserve in the United States. Of course. And it was again. Yeah, it, it was shortly after that that um, the Federal Reserve was created. Yes, the time frame is right. Well, what I was going to ask is, what about the uh, what about the the survivors, the ones who gave testimony and stuff? Uh, you think those are probably crisis actors, or what do you think about that? Uh, they they didn't have crisis actors back then. Sorry. Uh, a lot of what happened with the survivors, um, especially crew survivors, crew survivors were taken off and uh, forced to sign agreements. Here you go, back to partnership associations, right? They had to sign agreements to where they would not talk about what happened regarding the Olympic and the Titanic. And if they were to go against those agreements, that they would be imprisoned for a period of 20 years and they would never get a job again if they were to get out of prison. Wow. And a lot of this info actually came out from a couple of those um, deckhands on their dying bed. They came out and said this. Well, I was going to say, too, you have to, just thinking about that, you have to um, totally understand why you always see people in comments or just people in general, like people in everyday life, you know, I try to tell them about some of this stuff, and 
their first reaction is, you know, they'll never let you do it. And when you hear these types of stories, that you know, it's it's a legitimate fear to have of these bastards, you know. Well, it absolutely is. But here's the problem, all right? Here's the situation. And that is, they're saying, okay, we're staring Goliath in the face. What do we do? Is there anywhere else to turn? Is there anybody equal to or bigger and badder than this Goliath? And what I'm saying is, yes, there is. And it's just not a matter of rescinding your signatures, rescinding your agreements, and things like that. You have to be flying underneath a flag. I mean, I went with a couple of people that are well-known online, and we went to Tallahassee here in Florida, and we went to the governor's office. And... Gosh, we were there several hours and talking to um, attorneys for the governor and talking about what we wanted to do and the way we were looking at things. And they kept asking the same question over and over. What flag are you flying under? That's all they want to know. And that's a big clue. That's a big hint. And so... You know, I've always been looking for the flag. I've been watching for it. And I saw it a few years ago and kind of steered away from it just because there was just so much info to follow. But I've joined up with it. And the United States, the United States cannot fight against themselves. That is the first thing you have to comprehend. It is impossible for for a corporation to fight against who they're trying to get people to believe that they represent. Talking about the creditors, right? Beg your pardon? Are you talking about the creditors? The creditors? We are the creditors. Right. So that's why you said you said that they can't fight against the people that they're trying to convince us that they're protecting, which is us. Mm. Like all sorts well, the United States cannot fight against the United States of America. You understand so you're that? About, you're, you're talking about the, the democracy can't fight the republic? Exactly. The de facto cannot fight the de jure. But I thought, see that, okay, that, I'm glad that you said that because that's another thing that, I, that I've been a little unclear about is, so you said they can't fight each other, but isn't, I mean, isn't basically the de facto, like the way I kind of see it is like a leech cloaking the other one. So isn't, aren't they at war with each other? No, they're not at war with each other. Uh, the de facto is just masquerading as the de jure. And nobody realizes that. Yeah, I was thinking about that today, about, like, uh, people who sign up for the military, and they think that they're 
defending the people of the Republic, but they're actually defending the mob. Yeah, they're defending the IMF. Yeah. Try to convince exactly. Like that, though. <clears throat> well, that's actually, not to get sidetracked here, but that's pretty easy to do if you want to convince somebody of that. Uh, show them a timeline on overdoses and people going to prison over the past 20 years and show them that since we went into Afghanistan that heroin overdoses and imprisonments have gone up by over 300%. Mm -hmm. So are we over there? Are we over there spreading democracy when we're supposed to be a republic? Or are we over there guarding poppy fields? Oh, yeah, you know what? Go back. uh, I was going to say, go back to stories of uh, George Herbert Walker Bush, okay? George Bush Sr., rather, when he was head of the CIA. And just Google stories about bodies of our soldiers coming back from Vietnam that were stuffed full of drugs. Yeah, I heard about those. Find out what the Vietnam War was really about. There's a lot of money to be made in the drug business, and that's how they're funding all their operations. Yep, well... Anytime there's a war on anything, it's actually a war on the people. And anytime there's a war going on, the Constitution is held in suspension. And we've got a war on obesity. We've got, you name it, we've got a war on everything. Yeah, it's it's a strange world. But, uh, is it just you and me here? Or is it? No, I'm serious. No, I am. I'm I'm on line two um, here, and uh, I don't know if you guys want to hear a, a little court story uh, I, I uh, went through today. Sure. Is this Dave? Uh, yeah, I am. <clears throat> hey, Dave. How are you doing? Yeah, glad to hear from you. I was hoping you'd come on. Yeah. So, so uh, what happened was that uh, you know uh, I went I went to the arraignment part uh, today. Uh, it was arraignment, you know, where they they basically forcefully, you know, enter a, a, a pleading. Uh, you know, it's, it's like they always want you to enter a not guilty plea. You know, that's kind of the the, the thing that they that they that they do there. Um, I went there, and um, you know, when they called, you know, when they called the name, I said, you know, I'm here regarding that matter. Uh, you know, I went in there, they were like, okay, what's your name? You know, I said, you know, my name and this is what the family of, you know, and then they said, okay, is your date of birth this? And I said, you know, that, that information is hearsay. You know, I was, I was not conscious whenever I was born. So that's hearsay information. And, uh, from the get go, the prosecutor was, 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 uh, against me. You know, he was, uh, you know, I was trying to talk to him off the record. And he was just like, no, no, I'm not talking to you off the record, you know. So he wasn't, he wasn't trying to uh, do anything like that. Uh, so, so basically, uh, uh, <clears throat> you know, when I said that, you know, that's hearsay. You know, the uh, prosecutor said, uh, you know, 
he basically said, Judge, you know, this, you know, this, this is actually contempt of court. And he's like, you know, this is contempt of court. And, uh, and uh, you know, they, they actually, uh, uh, you know, I sent some filings beforehand. And so they, they had the, uh, you know, they had the cop there, you know, <laughs> especially for me, they, they waited, for, they waited, uh, you know, they waited uh, for me to be the uh, last one there. Uh, you know, they, they called my, my name last. So they, they're definitely planning on, on my arrival. Um, <clears throat> and finally, uh, uh, you know, I, I told them uh, very simply, uh, I told them, I was by uh, there by special appearance, uh, you know, and I declared I was 18 years old or older, and uh, I was affirming that everything was true and correct, to the best of my knowledge. And, uh, you know, I, I told them that I, I wasn't a defendant, that I was actually a man, and I was here to settle that matter. And I, I, I required a man to come forward with a claim under penalty of perjury. Uh, basically, I required a man to come forward with a claim under penalty of perjury. I required this matter to be discharged if a man does not come forward with a claim. And when I said that, um, it was funny because the whole room got quiet. You know, the prosecutor didn't say anything. You know, the judge didn't say anything. And, uh, you know, it was quiet for a moment. Uh, and after after a little bit of time, you know, the judge said, you know, I'm going to enter a, a no, not guilty plea for you. And, uh, you know, he just entered that one. Um, Can I ask you something? Yes, go ahead. When he, when he did that, uh, did you ask him then if one he was practicing law for the bench, or if he was agreeing to be surety for that name then, since he was going to act on behalf of it? If he was at, if he was acting as surety, yeah. If he was going to stand as surety for that name, since he was acting on behalf of it, or if he was merely practicing law from the bench. Practicing law from the bench. Uh, no. You know, at that time, I was, uh, it was early in the morning, and I, I, I wasn't fully prepared. You know, that's, that's the truth of the matter. I wasn't fully prepared. Uh, and so, that's just how it went down. <clears throat> it, was, uh, it, was, it was not good, you know. And I, and I comprehend that once, once they enter a not guilty plea, you know, they get the ball rolling. the ball's rolling. <laughs> well, you know, I I would say that guess what? It, it's not a done and over with matter. You can file something in the case. In fact, you could even just send um, a letter to that judge, i.e. the court administrator, and ask him those questions. You know, I have a question. Uh, if his name is Robert, say, hey, Bob, I've got a question, and, and I wouldn't even address the letter as Judge So and So. I'd address the letter as if his name is, say, for instance, Robert Smith, saying, "Dear Robert Smith, um, I have a few questions here, Bob. Since you decided to do this, Bob, were you, you know, uh, were you acting as behalf of the surety?" Is, is that the purpose of this? Because if you're acting as behalf of the surety, then 
Thank you. Please take care of the situation and discharge it. You know, or or were you practicing law from the bench in the capacity of a judicial administrator? I would definitely send them a letter. And do they have to respond to that letter? Well, as far as responding to it, you can let them know in that letter. Um, I expect a response. Um, standing in honor, please respond within X amount of time. You know, at least 10 days. At least 10 days. Okay. Well, I, I don't want you to feel like you're defeated at this point because this is only the very, very beginning of everything with the situation. You know what I mean? Right. 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 So at okay. this time, Brian, shouldn't he rescind his signature off of that contract? Yeah, absolutely. Well, well, he never actually gave them a signature onto the contract. Uh, the judge did it for him. He did it in his behalf. But he, See, the situation is that... The order afterwards. Uh, I don't know. Dave, Dave, did you sign anything? Well, the thing is that once they, uh, one, you know, once they, um, once you're um, at the end, you know, you go to the bailiff, and I even asked the bailiff, I was like, hey, bailiff, what happens if I refuse to sign this? And, you know, she uses the magical word, you know, you'll be charged with contempt of court. Yeah, they like scaring people with that. But here's the thing. Yeah. You're not the one that entered the signature, and you're not the one that's going to sign for it. The judge has to sign for it, not you. And, um, you know, I, I always, whenever I, I, I'm under duress like that, I, I've been basically signing it, uh, Victor.Charlie, you know, UCC1308, and then I do the four-corner uh, around it as well. I don't know if that has any standing, but I did do that as well. Well, it definitely doesn't. It definitely doesn't hurt. Yeah, I think that's a strong thing to do. <clears throat> but um, yeah, I, I would send the Clerk of Courts a rescission of signature and list your reasons for the rescission of signature. Number one, you are under duress. Uh, number two, you are threatened with uh, jail uh, and with contempt of court. Uh, number three. Because you're not the one that entered the plea into which you were signing for. It was the court administrator. Um, maybe number four or five, the court administrator is the one required to sign. And I unknowingly signed into a contract that the court administrator is supposed to be signing for. Now, do you just send that in a formal letter, or does it have to be uh, filed when you resend something like that? Do you have to, I'm assuming you file that a certain way. I would file that onto the case. Not into the case, but onto the case. And that's what I've done in the past is whenever I've had to uh, do anything regarding a case, I file it onto the case.
that way it doesn't just hopefully get stuffed in somewhere. It's like the top piece that is seen. If anybody is, open up the file. So, so it is. You're just you're you're typing it or writing it out on just a white sheet of paper again. Right. Absolutely. And and here's the thing too. And this is the mistake that most people make. A and I made this mistake a few years ago too. All right. Although I was able to fix the situation. But whenever you go and put anything onto a case, you need to make sure all parties involved are notified. Okay? Everything's about notice. That's what saying and honor is about, is noticing everybody. And so you're not just sending this, you're not just filing onto the case, but you're sending this uh, to the court administrator, and you're also sending this to the prosecution as well. All parties involved in a situation they have to be up to speed with what all the other parties are doing. I think when the uh, when the uh, judge uh, uh, said uh, not guilty, I think uh, you know by me not saying you know objection uh, that the silence is acquiescence. Is that the rule there? Yeah, you're correct. You should have said I object, but however you can go back and correct things. And that's what you would be doing by jutting this letter off to them and filing that onto the case as well. Is, does that letter have to be like registered mail or, or just kind of uh, turned in and, and filed? Well, this is what I do. Um, if you're doing it locally, registered mail is not that expensive, and it's the best way to go, all right, which you would be doing it locally. So I would send it to the court administrator, i.e., the judge and the prosecutor. I would send it to them registered, okay, and then I would have two copies of it, and I would walk into the courthouse to make sure that this is definitely on uh, the case, I would take two copies of it, go in, and have one copy filed onto the record and have them timestamp and sign the other copy. That way you have proof from the clerk of courts that it has been filed onto the case. Okay. Yeah, and, um, let, let me... Let me give you a, an interesting little situation. I, I mentioned earlier about going to Tallahassee and going to the governor's office. And I mentioned this on, I don't know, my call, somebody's call a long time ago, um, that when we were there in the governor's office and we were waiting uh, to speak to someone, I kept hearing this little tick noise every now and then in the background. But at the same time, I was like looking around at all the little artifacts and things like that hanging in the office, found out all kind of interesting Indian stuff and things, and I love Indian stuff. Um, but when we left and we were all handed, well, actually, we weren't handing our paperwork back. You know, basically, when we were dismissed from there, we were done with our meeting and everything, I went back to his secretary and I said, do you have the paperwork with you that I'm submitting to the governor? 
And she said, yes. And I said, okay. I said, I've got a copy of it as well with me. I said, I kept hearing a tick noise. I said, is that a time clock machine I hear? And she said, yeah. And I said, could you stamp it for me? She said, oh, absolutely. She's a cute little blonde girl. You know what I mean? It's easy to get around that situation. And she went and time-stamped it with, for me, you know, giggled and everything, and handed it back to me. Well, about two weeks later, I received a package in the mail from the governor's office. And it was kind of a uh, 12B6 kind of response, uh, failure to... Uh, you know, failure request if we can respond for which a release can be given, right? So, and, and I looked through it. All that paperwork that was sent back was for everybody else that was with me, all the other parties. But my paperwork was not rescinded back to me. I thought, wow, that's weird. I mean, because they knew I had proof that they had received it. And this is kind of a curious situation. Now, in, with your with your experience, uh, do you think that um, people like let's say I, I would have you know said objection, uh, you know I, I I want the the man you know to bring the claim forward. Um, would that have essentially worked if I would have objected against you know his pleading? Uh, or would they say, you know, you, you broke a statutory uh, code and, uh, you know, you know, go that route? Because I, I know that they, they don't follow common law in those courts. Like, no. do you think it would have... I was going to say, let me tell you. I'm sorry, go ahead. Uh, do you think it would have been uh, successful? Or do you think it would have just... Uh, what, what, what do you think? Success is not what we immediately see. We never see immediate success. People think they're going to file this and that, and somebody's going to knock on a door and pin a ribbon on their chest and say, you're free now, and stuff like that. You know what I mean? I'm just kind of joking around, but, yeah. That's, that's, people expect to see me as success, and you don't. Um, the reason for putting forth an objection and making sure that it's on the record that you object is for the purpose of being able to go back and uh, reopen the case. Because, right, because the objection was not sufficiently, the objection can be denied. That's fine. If they deny it, say, okay, I just let it be on the record that I object. That way you can go back and address that issue again. But um, has have have you seen success in like uh you know uh, victimless crime and there being no uh no no victim and you know stuff like that gets uh, dismissed um you know there's 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 a you know lots of things maybe a drunk driving or or possibly you know I mean there's a, there's a lot of possible crimes where if there is no victim it, it, have you have you noticed or have you experienced success, you know, victimless well, crimes I, before, before even in a pleading? 
Fortunately, very fortunately, I don't have that much court experience. I probably have more court experience than the average Joe. But fortunately, I don't have a lot of experience with that and other situations. Um, but what I have seen and witnessed is situations where um, I, I had a case here oh, about three months ago where a court administrator didn't want to follow the rules of court. And it was a rule of court that had never been brought up to her before. And a a uh, attorney had brought it up and said, this has to be followed. And this was not followed. And, and what it was was that evidence regarding a situation had been filed onto the case the night before, the day before at 5 o'clock in the evening at like 4.49, something like that. And then the court case was at 9.30 the next morning. And in the court rules, because uh, the book of court rules is way bigger than people realize. There's a lot of rules, how courts work. And, yeah, and uh, what this attorney said was, um, according to these court rules here, I'm allotted 15 days to review this. And this was just filed onto the case at quarter to five last night and then forwarded to me. And I hit court this morning. I haven't had a chance to look at anything. And the administrator, the judge, and she said, well, I've never followed that particular thing before. And she even turned to the prosecutor and said, have you ever seen me ever follow this? Do you know even know about this? And this guy, I, I knew that guy from years ago. He had no clue. He didn't even know what that even meant, you know. And uh, so, of course, she didn't wait for a response from him. And she said, no, I'm denying it. I'm not following it. And towards the end of the case, when she was going to make her decision, the attorney said, you know, to digress, I am still standing on my objection regarding the court following this rule of me having a 15-day allowance to follow a situation and to learn about it before I'm able to address it. She put her head down, and I've heard of this before. had never witnessed it before, but this time I did. She said, I'll be right back. She got up. The clerk got up. She walked back to her chambers, and she was gone for almost 10 minutes. She left the court, and then she came back. She sat down, and she said, in regards to following statute, da 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 15 days' time for a party to respond, I'm going to honor that request. I will see everybody here in 15 days from today. No questions asked period, and she slammed the gavel. I think the main reason why she did that was because she did not want to leave any loophole open 
where somebody else could come back and reopen the case. Does that make sense? Right. It does. But <clears throat> from from maybe some of your um, friends or subscribers, um, ha- have they tried a conditional plea of, of guilt uh, upon, you know, corpus delicti? Does that, uh, you know, does that dismiss or discharge the case, or do, you, or does it just basically, you know, they just say no, you broke one of our statutes, and you know, you're in our jurisdiction, and you know, um, have you, you know, because there, there's a lot of uh, a lot of people saying that a victim, you know, there's no victim, there is no crime. <laughs> I don't know if you have experience in, in that specific part, you know, a victimless crime being being dismissed. Well, I would love to see evidence of that. I would love to see evidence of that, but I don't think that you're going to go on PACER and find where situations like that, and if it's going to work or whatever. I mean, they hide shit. Whenever something works, they're going to hide it. They don't want everybody to know that here's a remedy. You know what I mean? And it's just not a case of um, a victimless crime or whatever, but to me, mens re. Mens re is huge. Mens re is, did you have knowledge of a law and an intent to break that law? Everything comes down to intent. And I don't think they're going to let anybody know about that crap. And intent falls right under contract law, too. Contract and intent, they go hand in hand. Yeah, because I, I, I did a, you know, a bit of research on that one, and I spoke to some you know, paralegals and actually, you know, some lawyers and stuff like that. And, you know, I asked them that question and, and they're like, no, we haven't seen success in that, you know, using that, using they, that method. That's because they've never used it. And if it did work, they wouldn't freaking tell you. I mean, book four, uh, was it section seven, uh, jurors, the corpus juris economum. Hey, it tells you. The attorney's duty is to the court. What's number one to the bar, two to the court, three to the public, and fourth to you. Yeah, you're last on the list. You think they're going to tell you anything? Well, you know, I I spoke to these, and they were like, uh, uh, you know, friends, uh, friends of friends, and I wasn't a potential client. You know, I wasn't a potential client to them. But uh, one of them was a paralegal, you know, so I know that he doesn't have that much experience. Um, but I guess it's, it's it's more about researching it more. Oh, and and that's where, like the attorneys, you're going back to PMAs, private membership associations. That's what the bar is. 
They take care of themselves. They take care of their association. You know, the um, crazy thing about that is um, <clears throat> that I learned driving for Uber. I had a, uh, and also having a mother, my mom, it's, uh, she has a master's degree in legal analysis, and she's uh, she's been a paralegal um, before in the past. Um, what's, what's strikes me as interesting with her and with this, this kid that I had in my Uber, this kid was, um, I don't know why, but like my spidey senses told me that he might be a lawyer. So I asked him if he was a lawyer and he said that he was two weeks away from taking the bar exam. So, um, so I asked him like some questions, you know, based on my knowledge of, you know, more like the stuff that we know, like the esoteric part of this stuff and uh he was two weeks away from taking the bar exam and he had no idea any of the stuff i mean i just threw out a couple things just to kind of feel not he had no clue he had he had no clue like even the oath that he was going to take uh like so once you pass you know i asked him i was like once you pass this bar exam do you do you realize that you're going to take an oath to the bar association and you're basically selling your soul to the devil and i kind of laughed but he's like you know he's this young kid and he's like yeah he had no clue. I was like, well, you're going to find out in like two weeks. And then uh, same thing with my mother, master's degree in legal analysis. She's worked for several lawyers and I started running her, this stuff by her. It was the same thing. It was like, you know, trying to teach a child how to read. <laughs> like you have a legal degree and they don't teach, they, it's like they fractionalize this stuff all the way up until you get a, your bar membership. So the paralegals, they don't know shit. Well, you know what? Thank you for bringing that up, actually, because this is something that I see people post all the time, and it drives me up the wall that they don't get it. They don't get it. You know, let me put it this way. If you promise that as a child of your father, okay, your earthly father, that you're going to follow his rules, which are you don't lie, you don't cheat, you don't steal, da-da-da, okay? If if you agree to that oath with your father, and then you go over to someone else's home, and this guy wants you to take on another oath, saying, well, you know, it's okay to lie in these situations or those situations. Whose oath is standing strongest? Whose oath prevails? Yeah, whose oath prevails? You know, I spoke to a woman... I guess I'll mention her name, Deborah Jones. And uh, she teaches classes on how to do the fucking separation from the legal name. She teaches status correction. And she went through a lot of things from childhood. And her parents were uh, police officers. Um, As she grew up, I mean, she took off with, I think, like 20 grand on a bag and left the home and developed her own life and went on to 
working in the real estate industry. Uh, she went on, I think she might have even gone on to work as a police officer herself. And she went into legal as well. And one thing she found out was what oath prevails. That's what she really wanted to know. The oath that prevails is the very first oath you ever took. All right. Now, we have these CEOs for the United States of America that we call presidents, and the majority of them have all been bar members. And the first bar or the first oath they ever took was to the bar. So, guess what oath prevails? The oath to the bar. No other boats. No other oaths mean shit. They don't mean crap. I was. I thought of that because uh, Obama, he was uh, a, a constitutional lawyer, right? Which constitution? Yeah, exactly. Which constitution? Well, you know what? We're talking about private membership associations, and that's what it's all about. All these private membership associations have their own charters. They have their own constitutions. So what constitution are you talking about? Yeah, they blur the lines. That's what they're yeah. master magician. That's why totally blur the line. You know what? You know, I hinted on this earlier. And I'm going to come right out and say it because this is the direction I'm following. You know, and there's a question earlier on the chat about um, what the group Tactical Sovereignty is all about. And what the group Tactical Sovereignty is all about is about the path that I am following. You know, Quite a while ago, you know, I had a Facebook account and this and that. I didn't really mess with it much. But then while I was researching things, I went to go and save stuff, and it said, do you want to save it to a group? And I said, okay, well, gosh, why don't I start a group? So I started a secret group, and I started throwing stuff in there. And... One or two people that I showed it to said, why don't you open this up so more people can find it? So I did. I opened it to the next level, which is a closed group, right? Which means just not anybody can just go ahead and join. You have to freaking be invited, whatever. And so I started sharing all my info there. And... It's looking, I, I can't believe the way it's developed. There's, it's knocking on the door of 8,000 people now. It, in the beginning, even when it hit 500 people, I, I couldn't believe there was that many people researching what I was researching. And it's all about, yeah, it's all about learning who we really are where we're really from and where we're really at. I, uh, the first thing that I got 
exposed to with this side of things, like learning about the, the private side of things, was the creditors and commerce stuff. And the guy who linked me to linked me this stuff, he's a friend of mine on Facebook, and he didn't even realize that those guys had gone to prison. And I didn't even realize it either. But, man, I will tell you that the information that he gives in his seminars is, like, invaluable as far as understanding commerce. Um, He's extremely thorough. It sucks that that they went to jail. You would think that they would be smarter than that. Um, But what's his name? Brandon Adams and Borden Hall. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I know those guys. Yeah, super smart, total masters when it comes to commerce. And, yeah, you, you know they know it well because they're listening to their seminars and they and he explained it very comprehensively. Um, <clears throat> that's how I have a, I have a really um, – I have a way better knowledge of, of like the OID process and a lot of these commercial processes than I do of where to begin with the birth certificate thing just because I I started off listening to these creditors and commerce classes. But now I'm trying to figure out this part because apparently uh, I'm learning it backwards. I'm supposed to fix my status first and then you do that stuff, right? Absolutely. Well, you know, fix your status first, and this is what I was going to get at earlier, okay, as far as flying what flag you're flying under. And the United States cannot war against the United States of America. You need to join the United States of America. And I would tell everybody, go to the United States of America dot international. I'll say it one more time. United States of America dot international and go there and sign up. Sign up as being an American. Period. Uh, Get on the great registry. Uh, These guys have what they did is they went in and they figured out the problem that occurred when the Constitution was done, when the Declaration was done, da-da-da. And there was a lot of different problems, like the meets and bounds weren't described, okay? The basic status wasn't described for the people. And they've gone in, they've corrected it, it's all been accepted, it's, it's over and done, you don't realize it. <clears throat> and they're getting hounded by the different institutions because they've done this. Done situation. And so you can go in and you can go in and become a member of the organic freaking United States of America if you want. Is there any way to do this without joining a club? Well, yeah. Well, you, you're not declaring a citizenship or anything like that. You're just saying that right. this is where I'm at. This is where I reside at. And now, when people go there, I want people to realize you're going to see words that 
like driver or resident, and you're you're gonna think about the de facto words. No, they don't use any of those de facto words. The words they use are the words that common people think they mean. <clears throat> resident means where you live at, not that you're originally from D.C. or anything like that. Yeah, none of that jurisdictional. Beg your pardon? None of that jurisdictional stuff. Yeah, yeah, none of that bullshit. No. It, what you see is what you get, period. And as far as signing up, no. It's not like 2500 bucks or anything like that. It's like, um, what's it cost to get an ID made? 150 bucks, whatever. Plus they go and file all the info for you and they send it off. Well, they file and send everything for you? Yeah. And if you have a problem in the future, let's say you get pulled over or whatever, you just take that info, you forward it to them, and they go and they contact the de facto side and fix it for you. So and that sounds nice, but that it kind of sounds it um, it sounds like kind of it could lead to the same situation that we're already in. You have somebody else taking responsibility for you, and then you know then that leads to the possible opportunity for them to take advantage of you. Well, there's always a chance of that, but the way it's set up is that you're not set up as a citizen. You're set up as a trustee. You are in power. You're not in a powerless position. And I've actually seen quite a few people released from jail that are members with these guys. That are part of the United States of America. Because they go in and they take the de facto, um, say, organizational side from like a prison and they ink it off from underneath them and they nationalize it. We own you now. So. So this is how this is how you recommend getting started with the birth certificate process. You can go to this website and, and get started there. Because I already went to the um, St. Louis, I think health health and public records or vital or something like that, and got um, a copy of the uh, live birth certificate or something like that. I think I talked to you about it a little bit. Right. Yeah. No. I I totally freaking. I totally freaking believe in going and get that authenticated at the state and federal level. Yeah, I don't. I, I, um, when it comes to that process, I'm I'm clueless too. I don't even um, boy, I don't even know what that means. Like authenticated. Well, you have a certified copy of it, right? I believe it is. It's it looks like it looks like the title of the car, basically. Oh, okay. There. There you go. 
Uh, well, what you're going to do is, uh, what state are you in, did you say? Missouri. All right. Look up Missouri uh, Secretary of State Authentications. And they'll give you instructions. Oh, really? So you so this so basically you can have anything authenticated. Oh, absolutely. And you jet that off from them, get authenticated, and then from there, when you get that back, you're gonna send that package to uh the Department of State, which is the federal level Secretary of State. Right. What, what did you say to search in Missouri? Department of Authentications or Secretary of State Department of Authentications. How hard is this? It's so easy. Right. So and then, so I just I just send I mail that to them. Or wait, you said just to look up at the, uh, it'll give all the instructions on the website. I'll do that. Um, yeah, look at their instructions. What I would recommend doing is uh, sending a prepaid envelope along with it so they can send it back. That'll make it faster. So I should send, send, I should send them a prepaid envelope. Yeah, put that in the package that you send to them. Right. Make sure not make sure nothing's folded or anything. Keep it all pristine. Hey, Bryant. Yeah. What's up, bro? Um, want to give him um. Uh, DW's uh, a website? Um, yeah, sure. Well, that's the group website for Tackle Sovereignty. You can go to um, Oh, Lord. It just, uh, just escaped my mind. Um, <laughs> it's, under, it's under dot solutions. I know that part. <laughs> Um, <laughs> all right. <laughs> yeah, it's early. <laughs> yeah, it's, what, it's like uh, knocking on the door at 3 a.m. here. Right. Yeah, it's here. I'm getting, I'm getting pretty sleepy. But I, have, I do have a couple more questions regarding this. Very quick. My brain is starting to uh, scramble. Um, <clears throat> Oh, yeah. Um, so I know, so we talked about OIDs and stuff like that being more, being like the creditor side of things. So is that something you would want to like do your full authentication before you start doing OIDs or could you do that after you do the, just getting the, uh, I'm not full authentication, but uh, what were we talking about where you resend everything? Uh, status correction. Do you wait to do full status correction? before you do things like OIDs or can you do that after birth certificate authentication? <clears throat> just... I, I think you can do that at any time. I don't think that either will matter on each other. In fact, uh, I've 
I'm not even big on the whole OID thing, to tell you the truth. So you don't know much. Say pardon? You said you don't know much on the OID thing. Oh, yeah, I, I'm not huge. Uh, you're talking about the UCC process. And I, I'm not really hip on it, to tell you the truth. Really? I, yeah. Man, you should. I mean, uh, now, there's things you can do with the Treasury that work, but you don't have to go through the whole UCC thing to get it working. Well, basically, with the OIDs, I'm not sure if you're how familiar with the creation of money is, but every time you swipe your card or write a check, you're creating the money double time, or you know, you're creating an extra that amount in an escrow account, and then you can basically request it back every year. So you know, all they kind yeah, of I know that there's money. So yeah, that's you know, that's um, for a lot of people. That's a pretty good remedy. Yeah, no, I know, and I know you can do that. But I don't think that you have to do, like, the UCC 1 and 3 in order to do that. I think I think you can use those forms without it. But once you become, you know, the actual creditor instead of debtor. And, yeah, oh, that. and regarding that website, I want to say that's lawfulamerica.solutions. I'm gonna write down what is it? Lawful? Lawful America dot solutions. And uh DW put a huge um list in there of different documents you can look at. Right. If you're asking yeah, if you're asking about the UCC and stuff, you put a bunch of stuff there. So that so that's where like you know, like download documents. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's got a download button for all the documents and everything. Yeah, DW oh. did a great job. And DW right now, to everybody, he's in 16 weeks of incarceration. Everybody, keep him in your prayers. The prayers are definitely coveted. Who is that? When? When um, is there a release date, or they have not given him a release date yet? Oh, I don't know. No. In fact, when they grabbed him, they shuffled him around in one or two states in the Southwest, and they even claimed they, they weren't holding him. And then all of a sudden, he appeared, I think, in Pennsylvania. Wow, has he has he been to a court like in front of a magistrate? Yeah, he's been to he's been in front of a court and he doesn't consent to anything. He, as far as I know, has not given um, fingerprints, name, nothing. He's created no joiner. No one that drink. One thing I one thing I notice is that they always want you to you know sign and then put an address. You know, that's one of their 
you know, big turn. Right, no. Yeah, no, I know he hasn't done that. No. Now, well, once, you, once you look at the website, you'll know you don't do shit. <laughs> <laughs> what were you guys talking on on the on the website that uh, you know helps you file all your paperwork and stuff like that? Um, would can people like for example, um, like like uh, somebody from a native born from a different place? Would it be a good idea for them? to go through that website or is it only native born Americans? You know what? Anybody and, and I don't know if you go and see um, what I did I know he's put it on there a few places you can declare who you are That that's even the, accepted even by the UN you can declare who you are. Nobody has to pigeonhole you. You're not stuck. If that makes any sense. No, that's contract. Right. Oh, and that falls right in her contract all over again, doesn't it? How funny is that? All kinds of uh, law equals contract, and contract equals law, right? Yeah. It's it's uh, like the rights of indigenous people, you name it. So can somebody claim to be Native American and um, something like that? I do. I do. That's where I was born. Texas. All right, well... Not, but is that America? How we know? But yes, you're correct. Yeah, that's America. Were my was my mom and dad born there? Sure, they were. So am I not indigenous? Screw their terms and their rules or laws or whatever what indigenous is. I mean, what do they say? Indigenous what? It's got to be 100 years, 200 years, 300 years? No. I was born here. My parents were born here. My grandparents were born here. So, of course, I'm indigenous. And, um... Do do they require like a DNA test or no? You just claim your your status, right? You claim who you are. Oh, you know, I've I've signed up for getting like a uh, concealed weapons permit. Uh, they didn't ask for a DNA test. They just asked me to mark a box. Why are you registering to use a, a, a firearm that's yours and your privacy? That was like four years ago. And they kept giving me an out to, to come back and redo it and everything. And I never did because I was starting to learn that, you know what, wait a minute. I, I automatically have this right. I don't have to go and ask you for it. Right. <laughs> 
So I let it go. I dropped it. Um, my girlfriend has hers. Basically, she didn't fight him or anything, but... I said, yeah, let's about, do this. What, what about their statutory laws on that? You know, there's, I think they're... I think that's a that's a that's a big one there. Oh, statutory laws are for the employees of the corporation. I mean, it's a corporation running everything, and corporations don't have citizens. Corporations only have employees. Are you an employee? Yeah, an employee should be able to quit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You should be able to quit. And those statutes and codes only involve employees. And the statutes and codes aren't laws anyway. Well, if you want to go to what's really law, go back and dig into um, the statutes at large. That's what they're created from. Statutes and codes are derivatives of the statute at large. You go to the statute at large and really read what they were saying, and you might find that it means something totally different. You know, Carl Lentz was in a situation where he was faced with um, creating liquor or whatever, or distilling or making whiskey, whatever it was. And the court administrator, the judge, told me, he says, you know, I'm going to give you two more weeks. He said, go back and check out the statutes. And Carl didn't even know what it meant at the time. But he went back and did that. And within the statutes, it said that if you are creating alcohol using an artificial, I'm probably bastardizing this, but it said that if you're using an artificial form of heat to distill the liquor. And he said, wait a minute, I'm not using artificial form of heat, I'm using wood. And he went back and used that, and he won. Hmm. Yeah, he was fortunately given a little bit of an out there by that judge or administrator, but... (laughs) But that's what we all should be doing. We should be going back and reading this stuff and saying, wait a second, if they're trying to hold us to us, uh, what does it really mean? What is it really saying? And I'm sorry, but it takes. Work? A, I was going to say I'm sorry, but it takes a lot of light work. Brian, how does that work with Dave's uh, uh, status? Um, I believe is dual citizen, or he has a national. Or a certificate from somewhere else? Right, right, naturalization certificate. <clears throat> from where? Uh, naturalization certificate. From from US. Oh, I guess I'm not sure what you're asking. But well, it has to be something that's accepted or acknowledged, at least. 
So we have to put it on the record. Yeah. You know, like I tell everybody, you know, this call or tactical sovereignty, what this is about is my research and what I've looked into and what I find to be valid and what I really believe in and what I see that works. That's what I put into the group and into these calls. And what I see to be valid and what I see to be working and has worked is joining up with United States of America the International. You'll get everything there. You'll get health coverage. You get your vehicle coverage. Vehicle coverage has a $750,000 bond written on it. Your freaking little private freaking insurance policy doesn't even have that on it. That's how I really recommend people. Have you ever had to use that one? Like, were you ever in a car accident? No. No. I mean, I had a situation about a year ago. And I gave them my common law ID. And I gave them my booklet, like I tell everybody. My booklet... And it's a booklet just like a truck driver would give that shows how many hours you were in commerce and things like that, which is obviously empty. And they went ahead and took care of all my information first before the victim. Yeah, they made a point to let me know they were not going to be giving me a ticket. The website, the website made sure, or or was that like a cop that made sure you weren't going to get a ticket? Uh, the the officer that was at the scene, the one that did all the paperwork. He he made a point to let me know. By the way, I am not ticketing you. That was his exact words. By the way, I am not ticketing you. Was that because you guys, you were the organization that you're part of would um, uh, find them for doing that? No. Go ahead. No, at that time, um, how do I explain this without getting too in-depth? Yeah, go to the First Amendment. The First Amendment says there shall be no law made against an establishment of religion. What is an establishment? An establishment is your household. Your establishment is you. Have you declared you're an establishment or not? Well, from there forward, all the other laws that are written are for those that have not declared that they are an establishment of religion. Yeah, I know religion is a man-made word, but that's what I followed. I followed that, and I followed Article 53 of the Libra Code. Article 53 of the Libra Code says that 
if the standing army encounters anyone who is clergy or hospital worker, they shall not be treated as an enemy of the state. I followed those two things and became clergy, and I've had no problem since. Interesting. Well, it's nice to actually meet, well, kind of meet, but actually know that there's a real person where this stuff actually works, even though the the process that you're doing is completely new to me. Um, it's nice to see that there are there is real remedy out there. Well, there is real remedy, and I think it's through um, the government of the United States are irrational. And that they have freaking, they've gone back and fixed all the little flaws that were done previously. I think they've done a great job. <clears throat> yeah, I highly Brian, recommend it. Your guest actually, hey, Brian, is your guest actually doing uh OID process with the, with the IRS? My guess doing it? The young man from Missouri. Uh, is it, I don't know. I'm going to be doing them next year, hopefully. I, I have a full understanding of uh, the three-step process to do them and how it all works. I just, um, I'm just still learning. You know, I want to have a broad, a much a much better view of everything else before I jump right into doing the process. But yeah, to I'm interested, I'm interested in, in <laughs> I'm interested in learning that process. Uh you interested in sharing it? Yeah, um not tonight. <laughs> I'm getting tired. I'd have to it, it I have to explain a lot. But I have some um <laughs> some information that I could link to you. I can page or I can tell you real quickly that it's the three steps is the first step you have to do is the ten ninety nine A and then you have to distinguish on there whether it's gonna be an abandonment or an acquisition. Um the abandonment would be your OIDs, acquisition would be actually like collapsing the, the accounts. And uh and I believe you can actually even request a return on that on that positive on exactly how to do that. I'm, I know more of the OID side, but anyway, so you do the 1099A first. That's basically letting the IRS know that you have something that has been withheld. And then you do the OID after that, and that's letting the IRS know what has been withheld, which is your original issues. And then you do your 1040, which is requesting the return. So that's the three-step process. And I do have to uh, where um, the, the creditors and commerce links. I have to figure out which episode it is. I uh, I did jot down the notes, but he does go through each form, like box by box, and like explains exactly what you put here and why and all that stuff. So you know, you so you have a full brain map 
of what you're doing and why you're doing it. And I've got I've got a uh, a chat for that with Expo Sovereignty. It's actually called Treasury Direct. And if you can find the chat for Treasury Direct, uh, we've got all the files in there for that. Is that what that was all about? Is that what the Treasury Direct account is about? Getting the OIDs? Uh, it's that and more, yeah. Because, yeah, I'm still not clear on what that account is either. I I was under the impression, again, that's why I have been, decided not, not to do them this year. It gives me a whole other year to keep researching. But I was under the impression that, you know, you after you do the 1099-A and then the 1099-OID, you file your 1040 like you would any other return. And then, you know, it's, so they just give you a return like you would if you did your income taxes, either as a check or in your well, bank account. Well, you have to set up your primary treasury direct account because until you do that, the system looks at you as a minor. Uh, and it tells you right there in three, uh, Treasury Direct 363.36 that uh, you're a minor until you assume responsibility for your primary account. And you have to set up your primary account. All right, so yeah, I seen that. I was curious on how how do you how do you go by setting up that setting up that account? Call Treasury Director Services, and then you instruct um, the services to freaking do it to remove everything from the minor account to the primary account. But you should do your birth certificate authentication first, right? Well, I would absolutely do that. I mean, that, that's just me. I would definitely believe in doing that. I, I've just seen the effect of it in so many people's lives. Yeah, I guess. I guess I, I'm just not understanding the the order of operation as far as doing this stuff. And, and certain things are still kind of blurred because the, the whole idea is that we're either presumed dead or lost at sea, right? So is that not what getting the birth certificate authenticated is doing? That's you telling them that you're alive and well? Or is that what the status correction is about? Well, no, that is part of the status correction. And that is freaking ending that presumption that you're freaking lost at sea. Um, yeah, you do the freaking um, birth certificate first, you get the authentication done first, and then you go and start correcting the records with the uh, Treasury Direct account. That's okay, the way I look at it. Direct account to correct your records? Well, you've got to be the owner, don't you? I guess it's where it's getting yeah. foggy. Um, yeah. So, so when you, in correcting your records, you're talking about like resending the driver's license and resending your voter registration and all that stuff that, that links you and contracts you to the corporation, right? Right. 
Yeah, exactly. Now, how you do that, is that like the UCC1 filing? Like you do that every time you do that? Or is that like the same thing as what you were talking about earlier where you just like write it on a piece of paper and like you send your driver's license and just write on a piece of paper like here, take your crap back? Yeah, yeah, exactly. To me, it's all by notice. Correcting the record is all by notice. You just let me know. Hey, I have come to believe or I have come to know that this has been done in fraud and I don't want any part of it anymore. And I'm not part of it anymore. And that's all it is. It's just a declaration. You're not wait. You don't wait for them to acknowledge it or anything because you you're giving yourself the authority. You are the authority. Right. Everybody is so afraid that this other freaking whatever it is out there is the authority. No, they're not the authority. You're the authority. You get to decide. You get to decide who you belong to. You get to decide who you're following. It's up to you. Yeah, it makes sense. I've I've heard these a lot of the same things you're saying coming from other sources too. So that's that's a good indication of good information, I, I believe. And then, if you'd like to, I'm helping um, a couple other people start their process of uh, getting their birth certificate and getting it authenticated and sending it off, and and it's a little process and a UCC. Uh, application done. If you'd like to uh, be a part of a little group, that'll be fine too. But uh, it's up to you. No, no, definitely. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Camaraderie. As far as uh, as far as authentication goes, if you go to Tactical Sovereignty, um, and, and look that up, Tactical Sovereignty talks you and go to call six. Call six gives you the freaking step-by-step how to do it. Tactical sovereignty called uh, six? Yeah. Number six. Tactical sovereignty talks you. And that call right there gives you step by step how to do the authentication. And I'm definitely down to join that that group that you were talking about too. You know, networking is the plus. Talking to as many people as I can. That's how we all got here. Yep. Yeah, exactly. It's all easy stuff. We just freaking link up with each other. <clears throat> all right. Are we about ready to end this call, guys? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. I was going to say real quick, if uh, if you wanted that information on the OID and stuff, I can get it to you. Um, I don't, I'm assuming you're in the group. My name's Calvin Brooks. If you want to uh, just uh, hit me up in Messenger, and we can uh, 
can swap, uh, you know, information with each other. And there's uh, tons of info. I was going to say there's tons of info in uh, that link I gave you. Yeah, I wrote that down. I wrote down everything. <laughs> that Calvin with a C or a K. That's why we both kept answering the same time tonight. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Again, uh Brian, appreciate your time. Always knowledgeable, always helpful. Always learn something from it. And the group gets better. <laughs> well, well, like I said, go like I said, go to Solutions and look in the files. Well, uh, thanks a lot, guys. Have a good night, guys. Hey, thanks, everybody. Good. Hey, absolutely. Anytime. You guys know that. I'm always here for the members. All right. Thank we'll you, call guys. it and then. Later. Absolutely. Bye-bye. Love you all. Good night, guys. Thank you, Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.